With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and analysis of the day's global events. This is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Global News Hour. On today's show, the mainstream media is going into a tailspin as it looks into what a second Trump term in office might well include. The FBI Russiagate investigator Charles McGonagall is sentenced to four years in prison for money laundering. Ukrainian trust in its institutions plummets in a new survey. And from Australia, Queensland's new Premier gambles with an extension of radical climate goals 10 months out before the next election. This is Compass with Jason Olborn. But first today, US Secretary of Defence Lloyd Austin has travelled to Israel and participated in a joint press conference with his Israeli Defence Minister counterpart Yoav Gallant, who says Israel has been destroying Hamas's infrastructure and taking out its leadership. We will continue until we fully achieve our goals, he said. Gallant said at the news conference with Austin that Hamas will not control Gaza. We will have the freedom to eliminate any kind of threat in the future. There'll be no serious military threats from Gaza, he said. But the Israeli Defence Minister also said that Israel will not control Gaza in a civilian way. We will conduct any operation in order to secure our future, and we are building the routes for non-hostile partners on the other side. Austin, for his part, said the US's support for Israel is steadfast and unwavering, protecting Palestinians civilians in Gaza is both a moral duty and a strategic imperative. Pentagon chief told reporters, we will also continue to urge the protection of civilians during conflict and to increase the flow of humanitarian aid into Gaza. Here is now part of Austin's address. So I'm here with a clear message. America's support for Israel's security is unshakable. And Israel is not alone. At a time of mourning, a real friend shows up. And I know how terrible these days have been for the Israeli people. And Israel has every right to defend itself against a fanatical terrorist group whose stated purpose is to murder Jews and eradicate the Jewish state. Hamas is still holding hostages, including American citizens. Hamas embeds itself and hides itself behind innocent Palestinian civilians. Hamas does not speak for the Palestinian people. And Hamas is determined to doom both Israelis and Palestinians to an unending cycle of suffering and strife. The Israeli military has developed plans to invade neighboring Lebanon with the intent to push back the Shiite militant group Hezbollah, which has been launching cross-border attacks on Israel in recent weeks. The Times and Newsweek reported Monday, citing Israeli Defence Forces spokesman Jonathan Conricus. Israel and Hezbollah have seen increasing exchanges of fire since the outbreak of the latest Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The Lebanese militant group Hezbollah has come out in support of Hamas. However, the group's leader, Hassan Nasrallah, has said that he will not launch a major offensive against Israel unless it was provoked or Hamas was on the verge of defeat. Nevertheless, the IDF has decided that it cannot accept the looming threat posed by Hezbollah and has developed a plan to invade southern Lebanon to push the militant group up north in the uh, to the Latani River, according to the Times. 
Israel is concerned that Hezbollah could potentially launch an October 7-style attack in the north of Israel, according to a senior IDF officer who spoke with the Times. The Israeli doctrine is therefore to take the war to the other side. He said the IDF has approved plans and defined schedules for readiness, Conrikas said, according to the paper. Newsweek similarly reported that Conrikas told journalists that while there is a window of opportunity for peace, Israeli forces are prepared to keep Israeli citizens safe. The Israeli government has not yet publicly commented on the possibility of launching a military offensive. However, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has warned that Beirut would be turned into Gaza if Hezbollah started an all-out war against the IDF. And Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi won the country's presidential election with 89.6% of the vote, securing himself a new six-year term, the National Elections Authority announced on Monday. More than 39 million voters cast their ballots for Sisi, who has been at the helm of the country for a decade. The president was pitted against three candidates, Hazem Omar, leader of the Republican People's Party, and second in the poll with 4.5% of the vote, Farid Zaran, leader of a small left-wing party, and Abdul Sanad Yamama of the WAFD, a century-old but now marginal party. Sisi's victory guarantees him a third term in office starting in April and supposed to be his last under the Egyptian constitution. His election comes as no surprise in a country of 106 million people beset by multiple crises ranging from purchasing power to the war in neighbouring Gaza. In the midst of an economic crisis, inflation currently stands at 36.4%, while the currency has lost half its value and the price of certain basic foods is rising every week. Two-thirds of the population live below or just above the poverty line. With more, we rejoin this report now from Cairo. Enter Abdel Fattah el-Sisi has secured a third term in office. Egypt's National Elections Authority Monday said Sisi won 89.6% of the vote held between December 10 and 12. Turnout reached an unprecedented 68.8% of voters, according to the authority. Over 39 million Egyptians cast their ballots for Sisi, whose rules the most populous Arab country for a decade. The vote also took place as Egypt dealt with various crises, including the Israel-Hamas war in neighboring Gaza. Sisi ran against three other candidates. Runner-up Azim Omar, who leads the Republican People's Party, received 4.5% of the vote. The US will not go through with plans for a foundational trade agreement with the UK, Politico reported Monday, citing sources close to discussions who spoke on conditions of anonymity. According to the news outlet, a preliminary version of the deal had been prepared by the United States Trade Representative's Office earlier this year. It covered subjects such as digital trade, labour protections and agriculture, according to documents seen by Politico. Talks on the deal had been expected to start at the end of the year and wrap up ahead of next year's elections in both the UK and US. The proposed agreement was reportedly far from a traditional free trade deal, which was pitched as a roadmap to eventually securing one. However, sources claim that US President Biden decided to shelve the agreement after some of its provisions met with criticisms in Congress. Lawmakers reportedly argued that the pact in its proposed form did not benefit the American public, especially farmers and workers. Does this improve the lot of the farmers in Iowa? Does this help the US economy? And if it doesn't, they're not going to do it. 
One of the sources said, summarising the reaction of the proposed agreement at a recent meeting between the US, TR and lawmakers. Earlier reports indicated that the UK also had misgivings over the deal, especially with regard to food safety. According to a recent Guardian report, the UK Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs has been unhappy with the prospect of allowing American food products, which are produced in accordance with the lower regulatory standards, to enter the UK market. Similar concerns were voiced by Scottish ministers who in October demanded that London clarify whether the proposed deal will conform with UK's high standards of food safety and animal welfare. And New Zealand's COVID vaccine data whistleblower Barry Young has appeared in Wellington District Court and pleaded not guilty to accessing a database for dishonest purposes. There were cheers and claps as Young entered and left the courtroom at the Wellington District Court on Monday. 56-year-old is charged with accessing a computer system for dishonest purposes. He was arrested two weeks ago after the health ministry laid a complaint with police. The ministry alleged there was an unauthorised disclosure and misuse of data by one of its staff members. It is alleged the data was published on an overseas website. Te Watu Ora said the data appeared to be anonymised. Anonymised, I should say. Young has been released on bail and will next appear in court on February 23 to discuss a trial date. Outside the court, Young told his crowd of supporters he could not wait for the trial. Thank you so much for being here. This is unbelievable. And I think we are near the, the beginning of the end of this nightmare that we've just went through for the last two years. It is, I can feel it. We are going to change the world. Don't judge me. Don't look at me. Look at the data. The data will show everything. The data will set you free. Because it is the truth. It is the truth. So thank you all for being here. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I can't wait for the trial, honestly. Bring it on. Burst the dam. No one can stop what's coming out. I'm not going to put the genie back in the bottle. And yet on the other side, you have the government who's responsible for the carnage trying to cover their ass and prosecute you. How does that actually feel? It feels like, um, well, what, are the what is the government's agenda here? And honest honestly, in my heart, I cannot believe that they would want to murder their own citizens. I mean, come on. We elected these people. They are the government. They can look at the data. They can come out. They can join us. People know. People, people are not that naive and gullible. Um, and at this stage of the game, just about everyone I've met knows someone who has died suddenly. And we've got, to, we've got to come up with answers for that. And it's on the government to reassure us that it is safe and effective. And if they can't do that, they need to cancel a COVID vaccination program immediately and have an inquiry and just, you know, reinforce our fundamental human rights that we have to decide what goes into our bodies and not to mandate us out of jobs or, you know, restrict us from going anywhere, any premises, at any time, ever again. That's it, that's all. A lot of people will, will still think two plus two equals five because the government told them so. But the reality is that more and more people are waking up to it and they know that something is wrong. Something is really, really wrong with this vaccination. 
Chile has voted to reject a new conservative constitution, leaving the text drafted during the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet in force. With nearly all of the ballots tallied on Sunday night, more than 55% of Chileans voted against the text, compared with about 44% in favour. The proposed constitution, which was drafted by a committee dominated by the Conservative Republican Party, would have reinforced property rights and free market principles and included limits on immigration and abortion. With more, we join this report. Just as the majority of Chileans had rejected a draft constitution last year seen as too far left, this time they voted against one that was widely viewed as even more right-wing than their current charter, written under Chile's former Pinochet dictatorship. It's better to stay with the disgusting constitution of Pinochet, reformed by two progressive presidents, than to have this totally right-wing version that borders on fascism. But some would have preferred this last offer to put the matter to rest. I think it's gone on long enough. Three years ago, Chileans voted overwhelmingly to draft a new constitution amid widespread demands for constitutional guarantees of better education, health, pensions and women's rights. But clearly, they feel let down. This represents the radicalization of everything that was criticized about the constitution that we currently have. The biggest irony is that after not one but two tries, Chileans will be left with their dictatorship-era charter for the foreseeable future. I think the tragedy of all this is the failure of our political class. They were given two chances to address our problems and they haven't been up to the challenge. And perhaps that's why many feel that there have been no winners here, except perhaps those who've always refused to put the dictatorship's last legacy to rest. Lucia Newman, Al Jazeera, Santiago. The Vatican has said in a landmark ruling approved by Pope Francis that Roman Catholic priests can issue blessings to same-sex couples, provided that it does not take place in the context of religious rituals or liturgies. The doctrinal shift confirmed by the Vatican on Monday would not legitimise what are called irregular situations, but will permit the formal blessing of people from the LGBTQ community under certain conditions. The Church added that it continues to define marriage as between a man and a woman, and that the policy change is not intended to supersede the sacrament of heterosexual marriage. In 2021, the Vatican said that the church could not issue blessings to same-sex couples because God is unable to bless sin. But in a document published by the Vatican's doctrinal office on Monday, the church said that individual priests should determine whether to bless LGBTQ individuals on a case-by-case basis. It added that the move is a sign that God welcomes all, but should not occur at ceremonies related to civil unions or weddings. Since becoming Pope, in 2013, Pope Francis has sought to make the church more welcoming to the LGBTQ community without compromising the faith's moral doctrine on same-sex unions or homosexual marriage. In October, Pope Francis suggested that an official change of dogmatic policy regarding the community blessings was forthcoming. Last month, Pope Francis dismissed Texas Bishop Joseph Strickland, who had been a vocal opponent of Francis's efforts to expand the scope of the church to the LGBT community. Strickland had called the church 
church's evolving positions on issues like transgender rights a travesty. Traditionally, the church has taught that same-sex attraction is not a sin, but participating in homosexual acts is. Bishop in some countries had previously permitted priests to bless same-sex couples, but the church's overarching position had remained unclear. And coming up after the break, speculation in the mainstream media about a second Trump term in office has them in a tailspin. This is Compass on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church.
This, this is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has said he will oversee the largest mass deportation of undocumented immigrants in the history of the United States should he be re-elected to office in 2024. Given the unprecedented millions of Biden illegal aliens who are invading our country, it is only common sense that when I'm re-elected we will begin and we have no choice the largest deportation operation in American history, he said. Trump added to the Reno crowd that on its first day in the Oval Office, he will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration. Additionally, the former president said he will invoke the Alien Enemies Act, which he said would lead to the removal of all known or suspected gang members, drug dealers or cartel members from the US. The statement was seized upon by Biden's campaign team, who alleged that Trump's rhetoric was similar to a term used by Adolf Hitler in his manifesto, Mein Kampf, which referred to superior cultures of the past perishing and dying out due to blood poisoning. Trump has said that the fortification of barriers at the US southern border would be key to his immigration policies of a second term in office. He also said that he supports the implementation of a merit-based immigration policy, while also ending automatic citizenship for children born to illegal immigrants in the US. Meanwhile, Reuters has interviewed almost 20 current and former aides and diplomats, most of whom are not named, concluding that a second Trump term might see Washington stop funding Ukraine, withdraw from NATO and further cut economic ties with China, Reuters reported on Monday, citing anonymous sources. According to eight European diplomats, there are acute fears that the second Trump administration would cut off aid to Ukraine and doubts whether it would honour the US commitment to defend NATO allies. Another diplomat representing a northern European NATO member state outlined his options, the options his and some other embassies have sent to their capital about the election. If the incumbent President Biden is re-elected, things might go rather well. The US keeps on rehabilitating herself. He said a mild version of the second Trump presidency would be a repetition of his first term with some aggressive overtones. If he actually follows through and on pledges to dismantle the deep state apparatus, that would be the doomsday option, according to the diplomat. Trump is currently the favourite for the Republican presidential nomination. If he defeats Biden, he would likely install loyalists in key positions in the Pentagon, State Department and CIA, whose primary allegiance would be to him, the anonymous aides told Reuters. That would enable him to advance his foreign policy priorities faster and more efficiently than he was able to when previously in office. Making political appointments is the constitutional prerogative of US presidents. However, Trump has hinted he might purge the lower ranks of the federal bureaucracy on many occasions, describing the Washington swamp as an impediment to genuine reforms. Trump came to realize that that personnel is policy. Robert O'Brien, Trump's fourth national security advisor, told Reuters at the outset of his administration, there were a lot of people that were interested in implementing their own policies, but not the president's policies. Four people who converse with the 45th president have said that he regularly gets advice from former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe, Ambassador Richard Grinnell, and his one-time deputy Cash Patel. None of them responded to Reuters' interviews for uh, interview requests. Neither Trump nor his campaign commented on the story. And local officials blame a fall in the distribution of food aid and a prolonged drought for the deaths of over 600 people in the last few weeks in Ethiopia's Tigray region. The United Nations says 1.2 million children suffer from acute malnutrition in the country. It's been more than a year since the war in Ethiopia's Tigray region ended. People here are still trying to cope with its effects on them and their economy. 
and a prolonged drought is making their lives even harder. In the village of Atsby, many families are struggling. I used to farm to feed my family and get medical treatment for my child who has mental issues. No rain means I can't farm and can't afford to buy medication. After humanitarian aid into the region was disrupted, help is now reaching some communities. But local officials say much more is needed. We, as the state government, we do not have any budget to assist. We even have not paid our government employees for the last 15 months. It's a very complex issue and we do not have any capacity to help. The Interim Regional Administration of Tigray says approximately 2 million people are at risk of starvation. Another 5.2 million need food aid. Water sources are drying up, and what people have left, they use sparingly, as none of them know how long this crisis will last. Harun Mutasa, Al Jazeera. And just as a side note, that is the area where who Director General Tedros actually comes from. Former top FBI agent has been sentenced to over four years in prison for helping a Russian oligarch spy on a rival. Charles McGonagall, 55, pleaded guilty in August to one count of conspiring to launder money. McGonagall is one of the highest rankings FBI agents to ever be charged with a crime. He's also accused of hiding $225,000 in payments from an Albanian agent while still working for the FBI. McGonagall was the special agent in charge of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York before retiring in 2018. In that role, he was tasked with investigating Russian oligarchs. Prosecutors say he and former Russian diplomat Sergei Shestakov violated US sanctions by agreeing to provide services to Russian billionaire and industrialist Oleg Depropaska. In August, McGonagall admitted to a judge that he had investigated Mr. Potanin in an effort to add him to the sanctions list. He told the court he was deeply remorseful for his actions. I take full responsibility and never intended to hurt the US, FBI or my family, he said, according to local outlets. After being arrested in January, the ex-FBI agent had initially pled not guilty before later reversing his plea. In court filings, prosecutors said McGonagall abused the skills and influence his country entrusted him with by secretly working for the very threats he had previously protected it against. No one knew better the gravity of McGonagall's crimes than McGonagall himself. They wrote, defence attorneys for McGonagall, meanwhile, have claimed that his fall from grace and loss of job are enough punishment. McGonagall also pled guilty to separate charges. In that case, he's accused of concealing thousands of dollars in cash from a former Albanian intelligence employee in 2017. He also claimed the money was part of a loan for a business. Federal prosecutors say he was required to report the payment. He is scheduled to be sentenced in that case in D.C. in February of 2024. Meanwhile, former Trump aide George Papadopoulos posted on X that the ex-FBI counterintelligence chief and Peter Strzok's boss, Charles McGonagall, who was in charge of his case during the Russia investigation scam that his congressional testimony exposed McGonagall and Strzok and more. But the real reason the deep state is harassing Trump over the Russia investigation documents is because they bring to light the foreign countries used by Obama to take down the campaign. UK, Australia and more, wrote Papadopoulos. And coming up after the news headlines, Brittany Higgins, the political staffer caught up in civil and criminal trials over her alleged sexual assault, has moved to France to start a new life. This is Compass on TNT Radio. Now,
I got a news flash for you. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. After weeks of intense seismic activity, the Reykjanes volcano has erupted in Iceland with 100-metre-high lava fountains spurting out of a 4-kilometre-long crack in the Earth's surface. Following increased drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, the US has announced a new multinational task force to protect the key shipping lane. And Donald Trump has vowed to deport the largest number of undocumented migrants in US history if he's re-elected next year. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Brittany Higgins and her fiancé David Shiraz have dressed in matching white outfits to say au revoir to Australia. As they prepare to move to a remote village in France, the couple said their goodbyes to friends and family at Brisbane Airport International late on Monday night. The couple's departure follows a tumultuous month during which Higgins and both her parents were called as witnesses in the high-profile defamation trial that Bruce Lerriman has lodged against Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson. Lerriman has denied sexually assaulting Higgins and pleaded not guilty before a criminal trial was aborted following an allegation of jura misconduct. Higgins, who was awarded a $2.4 million compensation payout by the Albanese government, has bought her first home in the south of France and is planning on studying and learning the language. Language. The property is located in the tiny town of Lunas, which is a six-hour train ride from Paris and a four-hour ride from Barcelona in Spain. The town has a population of just 650 and is part of a collection of small villages known as the Pays de Mont de Sources, which translates to land of mountains and springs. Higgins, a former Liberal staffer, travelled to the Maldives, Paris, Geneva and London in the last year before returning to Australia to give evidence in the high-profile defamation case launched by the man who she accused of raping her in 2019. The past year, she and Shiraz have rented a duplex in Palm Beach on the Gold Coast while exploring the options to resettle in Europe. In recent months, Shiraz posted on a public Facebook group that the couple were looking for a gardener and a French tutor. Hello, I'm looking for someone to do some gardening for us over the next couple of months, perhaps once or twice a fortnight. We're in Lunas, he wrote on October the 2nd. And barely a day goes by when US Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy does not impress with either his debating skills or reasoning. In this video, he explains the tyranny the Canadian government imposed against the truckers who oppose the vaccine mandates as he now announces his next campaign step to reverse the assault on freedoms in the United States. Let me tell you something. Truckers in this country, they're the backbone of our country. It's not just about moving things from place to place. That's our entire supply chain. That's how our economy runs. That's how we're able to live our modern way of life. You want to talk about supply chain shortages? Part of that is because of making life much more difficult for truckers to be able to do their jobs. It's also people who have been on the front lines of standing for liberty. Remember that Canadian convoy of truckers who bravely stood up against those vaccine mandates. Well, the Canadian government revealed how authoritarian they really are, silencing those truckers with censorship, even seizing or freezing their personal bank accounts. That was wrong. And I respect those who, through their civil disobedience, revealed 
civil overreach on the part of government, administrative overreach. Thank you to those truckers in Canada for doing their part. But we're going to do ours right here. On Thursday, December 21st, in Walcott, Iowa, at Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop, we're going to host an event where I roll out my policy that rolls back the regulatory overreach that's holding back the trucking industry and the jobs of truckers. Our trucker policy, many Americans who have been forgotten, people who drive trucks, keep this economy on track, help us live the lives that we do to show our gratitude, to say thank you, and also not just to say it with our words, but say it with action, exactly what we're going to do to fix regulatory overreach, and yes, to stand for freedom. Thanks to America's truckers, frankly, thanks to the truckers in Canada too. You guys are the front lines of who we are, you're the front lines of how our economy runs, and together we're going to be at the front lines of preserving our freedoms as Americans. Discouraged by Ukraine's failed counteroffensive and no longer seeing a convincing theory of victory over Russia, Kiev's Western allies have reported shifting to looking for a way to claim success by freezing the conflict in place along the current lines. Even some of Ukraine's most ardent backers are discussing the need to persuade President Zelensky's government to accept a frozen conflict and declare victory over Russian President Putin. Financial Times columnist Gideon Rackman reported on Monday, citing a former US official. We have to flip the narrative and say that Putin has failed. The unidentified official said the idea behind such a strategy would be to seek a de facto freezing of the conflict, which would involve moving Ukrainian forces into a defensive posture to hold off further Russian gains, Rackman wrote. The intensity of the fighting would dwindle under such a scenario, he said, leading to an armistice like the one that ceased combat operations in the Korean War in 1953. None of the underlying political issues would be settled. Such a prospect marks a far cry from the optimism conveyed by Western leaders earlier in the Ukraine crisis, such as when US President Biden vowed in February that there was no possibility that Russia would defeat Ukraine. In July, Biden claimed that Putin had already lost the war. However, as the FT columnist noted, Biden's rhetoric has shifted in recent days after pledging repeatedly since the conflict began in February last year that the US would give Ukraine all the weapons and funding it needs for as long as it takes to win. He revised that promise last week to as long as we can. And Ukrainians are losing trust in the country's public institutions. A new poll conducted by the Kiev International Institute of Sociology has suggested. At the same time, the country's populace seems to remain overwhelmingly supportive of its military. The survey had indicated a dramatic drop in trust towards the Ukrainian media, with only 29% of respondents stating that they believe in it representing a nearly two-fold decrease compared to the previous time last year when 57% of respondents expressed their confidence in the institution. The survey also indicated a sharp drop in the popularity of the country's government, with only 62% saying they trusted Zelensky compared to 84% last year. The government's approval ratings have plummeted even harder, with 26% trusting it now compared to 52% last year country's parliament appears to be even less popular, with only 15% of Ukrainians trusting it compared to 35% last year, and only 12% of those polled believe in judiciary and courts, and 9% in prosecutors compared to 25% 
and 21% last year, respectively. Just 41% expressed confidence in the country's law enforcement compared to 58% a year ago. However, the country's domestic security service, the SBU, which has apparently become the main tool for authorities to quell dissent and target allegedly pro-Russian figures and institutions, continues to enjoy a high level of confidence. This year, 58% of respondents said they trusted the SBU, as opposed to 63% last year. Before the conflict, though, it was only 29% with trust. Whilst the country's military remains the most trusted Ukrainian institution, with the polls showing an overwhelmingly 96% level of support towards it, the same as last year, with some 88% of respondents say they still had faith in the country's top general, Valery Zaluzhny, with the question posed for the first time ever. And the administration of Biden has warned that it only has enough Ukraine funding left to send one more military aid package to Kiev, which will be announced by the end of the month. When that is done, we'll have no more replenishment authority available to us. White House National Security Council spokesman Jordan Kirby told reporters on Monday in DC. He added, Ukraine still needs our help and it's well past time for Congress to act and stand up for freedom and democracy and our own national security interests. We are very much at play. And coming up after the break, as the new Queensland Premier extends climate targets, a local political activist points out major flaws in Queensland's environmental policy. This is Compass on TNT Radio. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. <laughs> I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here home because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets this christmas thousands more people across the uk will be facing homelessness we urgently need your donation search crisis at christmas or scan the qr code to give 29 pounds 73 now i'm cal fire battalion chief isaac sanchez and normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires but given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Jason Olborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. 
New Queensland Premier Stephen Miles has received glowing praise from former United States Vice President and climate change activist Al Gore. Gore is delighted with the new Premier's plan to slash climate emissions by 75% by the year 2035. Labor Party caucus members selected Miles as the 40th Premier of Queensland on December 15, replacing Anastasia Palaszczuk. In a post to X, Gore touted the new Premier as an inspiration around the globe due to his ambitious climate targets. Queensland, Australia has a new climate champion in charge. On day one as Premier, Miles unveiled a new ambitious target to cut GHG pollution 75% by 2035, Gore posted to X. I know there's more to come and hope his leadership inspires others across Australia and around the world. The 75-year-old served as the US Vice President from 1993 to 2001, supporting President Clinton. He lost a presidential bid to George W. Bush in a, in a close race in 2000. Gore founded the Climate Reality Project and starred in the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. In 2071, the Nobel Peace Prize for his climate activism, together with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Miles announced Queensland's climate target during his first press conference as the new Premier of Queensland Friday. Today, I can announce we will lift Queensland's ambition on climate action to strengthen our economy and create jobs. We will reduce Queensland's emissions by 75% by 2035, he said. We will create certainty for industry and for jobs by legislating this target. We are making a very clear statement to the world that Queensland is the place to do business if you're looking to use clean energy to create prosperity. Previously, Queensland had a target of reducing carbon emissions by 30% below 2005 levels by the year 2030 and achieve net zero by 2050. In response to the post from Gore, Miles thanked the former Vice President for his support and touted Queensland's emission reduction plan. Queensland's new 75% emissions target uh, by 2035 is bold, but with the backing of the Queensland Energy and Jobs Plan and our government's commitment to renewables, we'll get there. Thank you to Al Gore for all the support over the years, he said. And this is all 10 months out before a state election. The local climate activist and photographer Stephen Nowakowski has been campaigning for and protesting for climate action for 30 years. However, he's pointed out that remnant forests that are earmarked for wind farms would wipe out the natural habitats for wildlife, which goes against the environment they are meant to protect. In this clip, Stephen shows a koala and speaks to Sky News's Chris Kenny, explaining how wind farming is exempt from Queensland forest clearing laws. This is what's happening. So all you people out there in the cities that are pushing for green energy, this is what's happening in North Queensland. We're carving up our remnant forests, what's left, the high altitude areas, the places that haven't been cleared for agriculture, urbanisation, industrialisation, and we're carving them all up now for a new industrialisation called wind. You know, like I march the streets for climate action and uh, believe that we do need climate action, we do need to decarbonise. But what I'm seeing here in North Queensland is not climate action and um, destroying what is left of our high biodiverse forests, uh, particularly in the high altitude areas, which are our refugia areas for wildlife. Um, destroying forests in the name of climate action is, a, is an oxymoron. It just, to me, it makes no sense. And what I find scary is that I don't know where the end game is. Where is it going to stop? Um, because there's a there's a pipeline of about 79 of these big large scale proposals coming forward down the pipeline. You're looking at around 71,000 hectares of classified remnant forests in Queensland, earmarked to be damaged or destroyed with this rollout of renewables, in particular wind. 
And um, look, I've campaigned for 30 years for tighter controls on land clearing. We finally got the Vegetation Management Act uh, passed by the government to try to stop broad-scale land clearing in remnant vegetation. And then we get the wind farm coming in, being exempt from that very legislation that we've fought decades for. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's really, it's, I just, I can't believe the state of affairs in Queensland in terms of our land clearing for, for the wind energy in particular. Miles and his globalist overlords continue with their plans to save the planet by destroying the lives of the people who live on it. Since when were government officials whom the people elected meant to actively work against the people in order to serve them? One fine example of this is Bill Gates explaining how, in his words, incentives are actually forms of punitive economic coercion with surviving corporations, the beneficiaries of subsidised economics. Really going to make it from a fossil-based uh, fuel society into a renewable society. Where do you see the new real breakthroughs? Well, the rich countries uh, have to play a central role, both funding R&D and uh, having policies, in some cases uh, carbon taxes will be used, uh, to drive the demand uh, for these clean products. And only by doing that in an aggressive way will the economic costs uh, be brought down enough that we can turn to all the middle-income countries uh, and say, okay, you know, change your whole cement uh, industry, change your whole steel industry, uh, and yet, you know, it's not holding you back uh, from, uh, you know, your uh, economic growth. Uh, the number of companies working on these things is very exciting. Um, and some of them will fail, a lot of them will fail. Uh, but, you know, we only need uh, a, a reasonable number, a few dozen of them uh, to make it through. And that's what we have to accelerate. Human ingenuity is great. Uh, we create the right incentive system, you know, get the uh, private sector companies uh, engaged in this in a deep way. Uh, that's, you know, that's what the solution looks like. Uh, one of the hardest things mankind has ever done, but, but worth doing. Meanwhile, the Teflon-coated Bill Gates is back in the news again over his dubious relationship with deceased human trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. An article published on Sunday by the Wall Street Journal revealed a photograph of billionaire Microsoft founder Gates with one of child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein's alleged victims. The photograph shows Gates standing next to an unnamed Polish model who was in her early 20s when Epstein flew her to Seattle on a private jet where they met with the founder. The Wall Street Journal detailed in a long 35-minute read. The event apparently occurred in 2014, years after Epstein's 2008 registration as a sex offender. The model was also snapped alongside director Woody Allen at Epstein's private home in Manhattan, former Israeli Prime Minister Edward Barak, and former CBS news journalist Charlie Rose, along with others, the outlet noted. She has not accused Gates nor anyone else of sexual misconduct. It said Epstein used photographs of of elites with young women and girls he was trafficking in order to both lure other girls into his organised criminal sex scheme, telling them these men could seriously advance his victims' careers. The model claims Epstein eventually offered her a position as one of his friend's mistresses, which would earn her millions. My impression is that becoming a mistress was the only job proposition you were really serious about, she told the outlet. Meeting Gates or Woody was great, thank you, I'll never forget it, although nobody will hire me just because I have a nice picture with them. 
Gates has previously said he regrets his meetings with Epstein. Gates's ex-wife, Melinda Gates, divorced the billionaire in 2021. She met Epstein only once, apparently, and described him as abhorrent and evil personified. This strange attitude, uh, attitude amongst those pulling the strings of society to save the planet over us, which is climate change, after saying or saving us with a vaccine over COVID, whilst making gigantic profits and still maintaining friendships with people considered to be evil predators also for profit is difficult to digest. Giving Bill Gates a pass at mass media and politician level suggests a hidden hierarchy or an alternate unspoken of agenda. Here in this clip, World Economic Forum agenda contributor and UN messenger of peace, Jane Goodall is proud of herself for being outspoken about her desire to depopulate the planet, despite it being politically incorrect. When it was considered politically incorrect to mention it, and I was determined to mention it, I decided to call it voluntary population optimization. You have some thoughts about population as a driver beneath all of these things that we're talking about. Um, what should be done about population? For a long time, it was considered politically incorrect to even mention it. And most of the big uh, conservation organizations refused to mention it. But I always thought, I mean, you see what happens in the old days. There were cultures in a lot of these indigenous people and you had lots of children because they looked after you in your old age and you shared out the land. But now it's different and they know it's different. If you approach family planning right, it's something that's very, very important. And when it was considered politically incorrect to mention it, and I was determined to mention it, I decided to call it voluntary population optimization. <laughs> so by the time people worked it out. <laughs> this plays off another clip that I have played recently on this show for you from Professor Emeritus Dennis Meadows, who explains that in his view, the global population should be between one and two billion people, and that he hoped a depopulation effort would be peaceful and fair. Is climate change to be used to manipulate the population and convince as many as possible that life is hopeless, that may deem culling is appropriate? Once, not that long ago, any form of taking a life was the greatest crime there was. Today we have protests when you cannot take a life, namely abortion, euthanasia is growing in popularity, and even in Canada, depression is an acceptable symptom to apply for ending one's own life. So how does the media support this? Simple, really, it just makes it the, the agenda. Charles Chester is a CNN technical director. In this flashback from Project Veritas, Chester explains how climate change will be used as the replacement for COVID fear. Just like a COVID fatigue. So like whenever a new story comes up, they're gonna latch onto it. They've already announced in her office that once the public is will be open to it, we're gonna start focusing mainly on climate. Um, uh, climate like global warming and like that's going to be our next like um i don't know like what's the word I'm looking for? um it's our it's going to be our focus like uh, like our, our focus was to get trump out of office right without saying it that's what it was right so our next thing is going to be for climate change awareness what does that look like i don't know i'm not sure i, I have a feeling it's just going to be like constantly showing videos of like decline and ice and weather warming up and like the effects it's having on the economy and, and really talking about 
head of the network, like just. Who's that? Is that Zucker? Zucker, yeah. I'm, you said it's going to be like the new COVID. I feel like, well, that's the way it was built. Um, unless that was just a call to arms to get people to start writing and, and then we'll assess it. I don't know. But. Do you think it's going to be just like a lot of like fear? Like, climate? Yeah, fear self. Perhaps Yuval Harari, once the darling of the World Economic Forum, who continually seems to say too much, explains how the COVID restrictions, which people either believed or accepted, will apply when a more serious threat of climate change may create the conditions for these radical ideas. It's not the Black Death, and look what it's doing to the world. So now just try to think what will be the implications of a much bigger uh, problem like climate change. Also, conceptually, it shows that, um, and here I completely agree with you, Ratko, that it shows you that you can change things on a massive scale. That, um, and again, you can stop all flights. You can lock down entire countries. You can actually do that. And uh, life goes on in some way. And this, I would say, may make us more open to radical ideas about how to deal also with climate change. It is almost as if the globalists are trying to breed out the human instinct of survival, whilst knowingly creating fear to transform the planet with as much haste as possible and with little to no regard to the economic conditions it will create. The idea of a soft landing is not spoken of, nor any cost-benefit analysis, yet subsidies to promote investment in the preferred industries are pushed on regardless. If this powerful and wealthy Western nations choose to move ahead with climate economics amidst an already struggling global economy, crippled under rising interest rates, rampant inflation caused by too much capital injected into the economy, then it will only speed up a financial collapse, itself another handy catalyst to usher in the next phase of the globalists' transition. A central bank digital currency heralded by a universal basic income to encourage take-up and compliance among those struggling the hardest. It really is not that hard to see. And a recent uh, Reuters-sponsored Freedom of Information request turned up information about Moderna serious quality control lapses at the mRNA biotech company's main production site, including issues associated with the manufacturing of the COVID-19 vaccine, known as mRNA1273 or SpikeVax. The FDA inspection was conducted between September 11 to 21 at the Norwood, Massachusetts production site used to manufacture both the Spikevax vaccine plus the investigational mRNA cancer regimen currently under development, part of a partnership with Merck, reported Patrick Wingrove. According to the Reuters entry, the FDA inspectors cited five distinct observations, including the company's failure to verify cleaning tests concerning production equipment used to make the COVID-19 vaccine. According to the report by Wingrove, the FDA report found 2,000 expired items in the company's warehouse, plus cold storage not contained in a separate or defined location from other materials. Another indicator of slipping quality were materials put to use beyond the appropriate expiration date. Moderna in a statement said, Upon receipt of the FDA's findings, Moderna immediately and comprehensively updated the specific procedures identified and is confident that the actions taken will be satisfactory to regulators. Favouring a Moderna interpretation is the fact that at least thus far, there have been no FDA issue recalls of Moderna vaccines. 
In financial disclosures as recently as 2020, the company acknowledged it had no commercial manufacturing experience and in many ways, like Pfizer, was building the aeroplane while flying. Not surprisingly, Moderna went on the record. The COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective, they said. This finding, the lack of transparency, could be indicative of more challenges ahead, though. And that concludes today's edition of Compass. Up next is The Chris Smith Show. Thank you for watching and listening to the Global News Hour. This is Jason Olborn for TNT Radio.